0: Yo, what is going on, everyone? What is cooking? This is scriptwriter Steve. You reach my podcast, Barbecue to Movies. Today is August twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. It is currently three twenty one a.m. on a Wednesday morning. I'm up late doing my podcast. You know the way it is. You know the you know what I do, right? You've been listening to my podcast all the time, and you know what this podcast is all about. It's about anything I want. We're having a barbecue or a theoretical barbecue, and here I am talking to you. While I smoke my brisket. (laughs) So yesterday, this podcast is for yesterday, but yesterday's podcast was for today. That was Wedding Wednesdays, right? And uh, if you listen to that podcast, it was all about our mayor throwing a wrench into our wedding plans and uh, not really my wedding plans. I'm not married. I don't plan to get married anytime soon, but a lot of my clients' wedding plans, especially for those who plan to get married and have 25 or more guests. And I tell you what, that wrench that is being thrown into the wedding plans of a lot of couples, it's uh, breaking their heart, it's uh, breaking their mind. Um, there are workarounds to it, I explained it in my last podcast, but it's also breaking the bank of some wedding planners. And it's also breaking the bank of those wedding couples. So, you know, I just want to encourage all of my clients, my future clients out there uh other wedding couples who just listen to me uh just to stay positive. You you have to figure this out. If you have to cancel your wedding, do just what you think is best, right? Do with what you think you can sleep with, right? Sleep at night with. Um you know, don't keep going on and pushing through with something that you have that is going to cause you heartache. You don't want st- to you don't want to start your life, you know, you know, you know your first steps in life, your new chapter in life, with heartache and stress and anger. You just don't wanna do that. So if you're gonna go forward with your wedding plans in Hawaii, you have more than 25 people, um, know that our government is stupid. Our government, our leaders are not qualified to make very intelligent decisions. They're not making very intelligent decisions and they're making decisions based upon experts who are not experts. And when I say experts, I want to put experts in quotes, because just because someone holds a title of an expert, it doesn't mean they are technically an expert. And this applies to all professions, right? For example, there's all different levels of photographers out there, but we're all supposed to be professional. But how many photographers out there? There's a difference between myself and a serious photographer, right? There's a difference between myself as a writer and then a journalist out there who tends to lie a lot. And... There's a difference of even epidemiologists or doctors. There are good doctors and bad doctors. There are good epidemiologists and bad epidemiologists out there. And when it comes to politicians, boy, is it hard to find a good one? Is it hard to find a good one? I don't think we've had a good one in Hawaii yet. And it's ruining our entire state. Um, You know, if it wasn't for my barbecue company, I'm not sure if I would stay here. Because my wedding company is suffering. It really, really is. So now I'm going to segue into maybe a hard segue into what this podcast is about. Um, this podcast is going to be about writing fiction or just the art of fiction altogether. I'm still not sure what I'm going to title this podcast, but it's primarily going to re- revolve around the subject of fiction. And I really wanted to talk about this for a long time. Now, before I lose all of you, because I know a lot of you out there are saying, well, Steve, you know, we're all not writers out there. We're not all storytellers like you are. We don't, you know, we're not artsy-fartsy people. So we're not, you know, we're not fictional story writers. We don't care. Well, you should care. Because like it or not, you all are storytellers. Which mean you are all exercise fiction at one time or another. And sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. How often have you had a friend or a relative or someone you really cared about make some food for you? It could be your wife, your best friend, you know, your cousin, your, you know, your girlfriend, you know, your girlfriend's cousin or whatever like that. And they come over and bring that food over to you and it tastes like crap. And you look at them and you tell them, "This is great. Good job." You're you are just lying through your teeth, right? you're just lying, you have a smile on your face, you're lying, but you don't want to tell them the truth, because you know for a fact that they slaved over this for hours and days, watched YouTube videos and perfected this, and they're so sowed on the fact that they can create this really great dish, and they're so proud of it, and you know, they're just, they have no idea how to cook, and you lie to them, and it doesn't help them, because They're going to go over to their boyfriend's house or girlfriend's house or whatever like that, you know, and cook the same thing and they'll lie as well. (laughs) And, and then it'll just snowball and snowball. Nobody has the guts to tell this person they can't cook. It goes on and on like that in so many families, so many circles of friends. I, I, I can't tell you how many, how many people I know who can't cook, who think they can cook because everyone tells them they can cook. And um I even suffered, by the way, for myself. So, you know, you know, for a fact that we're starting a barbecue company, me and Pat, Pitmaster Keith, we're starting a, a barbecue company. Pitmaster Keith is very honest when he, um, I guess, for business purposes, he's very honest about the quality of our barbecue. And it really helps that we have a good palate. But then again, you know, when we have friends and family over, we're not sure if they like it or not. So you have to look at them, read their actions and see If they want to take some home, if they want it, if they're licking their fingers, if they're, you know, going for seconds or thirds or fourths, though their actions speak louder than words. Because if it tasted crappy, trust me, they wouldn't tell us. They really, really wouldn't tell us. And, uh, you know, I've gotten, you know, some comments from about my barbecue saying, Steve, that is the best brisket I've ever tasted in my life. But I would have, I, I, I would have not believed her. This person was a girl. she came over to my place uh, at a party, and uh but I would have not believed her, but then I watched her actions and she went up there three or four times and she's not really a big time meat eater <laughs> so so uh that's how I know she was telling the truth so that's all it is now here's the one thing um when it comes to we're, we're going to jump straight into fiction, the art of fiction, you know. You know, when it comes to writing good fiction, it's, uh, now hold on, hold on. Before I get into that, I just want to tease this, uh, tease this podcast a little bit more so you don't tune out. After the commercial break, I'm going to apply this, the art of fiction, to what we're living through to today in our, this, in this pandemic era. Well, let me march that back. I won't say era because that sounds neg- a little negative, right? This, Time of the pandemic, um, because we're getting fed fiction left and right. Dr. Fauci has lied, knowingly lied. The media has lied. Everyone has lied. We're not everyone, but a lot of people have lied to us. And I want you to know how to identify fiction, all right, and how fiction is made. So once you realize you understand how fiction is made, you can basically apply it to um, apply this knowledge I'm going to give you in the first segment to anything in life because the rules are all the same, okay? And this is what I use. These are the some of the techniques that I use to analyze all the different narratives out there. And yes, scientists also create narratives, also create narratives. Okay, so first step, how do you create fiction, okay? Now, many of you think, you have to be very creative to create fiction the truth is you don't you really don't. now some 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 um stories are i guess uh, it, um require more imaginative type of skill than others but say for example we're just writing a a murder mystery and not a science fiction novel that requires a lot of skill right science fiction novels or fantasy novels require you to write or build an entire world, maybe even create a whole new language, or create new technology that doesn't exist. Okay, so we're not talking about that type of fiction, which is very, very um, difficult to write. Uh, We're talking about like a murder mystery, right? Um, Something like, you know, um, just like a murder she wrote type of thing, or maybe a Magnum PI or Hawaii Five-O, or something like that. And what you do is you create a villain. So step one is that you create a pretty cool villain a villain that you know is believable that ha- that is what they call three dimensional has a good side a bad side has a you can identify their their motivations their agendas very clearly and then you give him once you identify his agendas and agendas and and um motivations then you just make him do some bad things and it doesn't have to be a lot of bad things it just could it just could be one thing Like, say, for example, um, a a villain wants to kill his wife for the insurance money. So why don't we say a husband wants to kill his wife for the insurance company? Now you just write the steps that he would do to actually kill his wife. So how would he kill them? Kill that wife, right? Step one, two, and three. Step one, two, and three. So how does he do this? He has to research. He has to plan. He has to do all these different types of things. And he creates this perfect crime so he could get away, go, go, you know, live with his mistress forever. Cause this guy is just screwed up in the head. And we have to create a believable character, maybe even base him on a real character. Okay. That's step one. And it's pretty easy because a lot of times you just have to plagiarize. The reality that's out there. You just have because <laughs> trust me, there's so many evil villains in real life. Uh, you know, you just have to steal it right off the headlines. Now and then, just twist it a little. Now, how, how do you write the story? Well, you just create a protagonist, and that could be a protagonist. A protagonist is your hero, or your or your good guy. Okay, and and then you then you just have your protagonist. Go through life, give him give him a little problems, and have him figure out that murder. Have him figure out that mystery, and he figures out the mystery. Maybe at the same time, usually at the same time, the audience figures things out. So maybe the villain leads him down a wrong path. You know, maybe maybe this protagonist is, is maybe an alcoholic, and he can't really focus. He maybe self sabotages himself, but eventually he he gets down there, and the audience the audience figures out who the who the villain is, maybe at the same time, maybe not at the same time, but almost at the same time. And we're keeping secrets from the audience and also from the hero, but the villain is basically all-knowing. And that's how you really write a story. So you write it backwards. Again, you start with the villain, you give him an agenda, make him do bad things, and then you just have your protagonist follow along. And it's because your villain actually um, propels the story. That's how you do it. That's really how you do it. And for example, and uh, for example, when you tell a story to your friends, say for example, a simple big fish story, right? You went out fishing, and there was a big fish and everything. Well, guess what? That big fish is your villain, your protagonist. Oh, it was this big. It was long, and it just made the line just like you know shake. And I had to use all of my muscle and everything like that. And then you and you tell the story of how you went out there, and you're the you're the hero, you're the hero. So you're fighting this this entire thing. But again, that big fish, who's the villain, is propelling the story, right? And you're and you're not telling people the whole thing. What ha- you didn't tell them at the end how you were going to actually pull that fish onto the boat. You're building that suspense. Building it to the crescendo. And then at the end, you tell them what you did and you have the punchline and everything like that. And that's how you tell a good story, right? From the. So again, we identified the villain, the big fish. You're the hero, you're the fisherman. And you got that big fish who was out to kill everyone, right? And you put it into the, you put it into the boat. Before that Marlin, that thing was about to stab a person inside of the leg and you put it out there and then, whoa, he's about to stab me in my eye and oh my God, like everyone's about to die in here. And I just like took my pocket knife and I just stabbed that Marlin in the eye and, and then it just like ceased, ceased to like move. And I knew I had saved everyone's life. <laughs> I just made that up right in my head right now. But that's what you do. That's what you do. So now, how does this apply to real life? Right? How does it apply to real life when we hear people talk about, I guess, people talk about things, politics? Well, why don't we take Donald Trump for an example, right? Donald Trump has become the villain of the left. They don't have an agenda. They really don't have an agenda. They took Donald Trump. And they made him into a white supremacist. They made him into a person who just wants to overthrow the government. They made him into, you know, everything he's not. They took all of his accomplishments away and made him into this, a person worse than Satan. And, um, and then they turned, they took Joe Biden and made him into a hero. And what what were you to believe as for the Democratic Party, who ultimately, again, they spent three to four years saying, oh, he collaborated with the Russians. Now with COVID, people are dying. Oh my God, this guy just goes out there and Fauci is just such a great guy. Fauci is your hero. He's not the villain. He is not the villain at all, right? It is Donald Trump. He's the villain. He's the ones why everyone is just dying and oh my God, like, you know, things are just horrible. And that's what happens. So unfortunately in this world today, the Democratic Party Has their villain, their permanent villain, which is number one, Donald Trump. Anything Donald Trump does is evil. And his all of his supporters fall into line. They're all white supremacist, racist out there. They're transphobic. They hate gays. They're just, you know, Bible thumping people who just want to shoot everyone. They they don't want, you know, they don't want, they don't want, they just want assault rifles so they can go into shopping malls and just kill everyone. And this is the extreme that they think of. They don't care about their environment. They just don't. So we got to get this ultimate villain out. And that's, and before Trump and all those white supremacists start brainwashing all of the minorities and black people, like Larry Elder, you know, he's black, but he's also white supremacist. He's also a villain. We just got to stop all of this. And who is the hero who's going to be riding in, you know, on the horse? Well, apparently it's the whole Democratic Party. They know what's better for you. So just listen, listen, and listen. All right? That's how you know. So, and they've created that fictional character. They started with that fictional character. And then what do they do? Well, they start leaking you different fake narratives about them. And they create a fake hero. A fake protagonist. They turn bumbling Joe Biden and a failure of a of a of, a, of a, a female politician, Kamala Harris. She's a failure, you know. She, <laughs> you know, her climb to success is pretty much X-rated. Let's not get into that, right? But I looked at, it. I, I researched it. It's not nice, okay? But again, they took two losers, turned them into your heroes, and then made them. Into this perfect couple who would fight all the bad things that Donald Trump had ever done. And it was this fictional narrative that they created. And all of a sudden, the Democrats bought a hook, line, and sinker, but I think the majority of us didn't. You know, the majority of us didn't. But what did they do? When when you started to question their fictional storyline, what did they tell you? Shut up and obey. Listen, don't question. And that was one of the tell signs that you could tell that the Democrats were not speaking any type of truth, right? They're speaking about religion. They're speaking about loyalty. All right, so I'm going to cut to commercial. I got to take a little break here. Um, but we're going to get back into how this fictional narrative even applies to Republicans and the conservative movement and also COVID because, again, Just because, you know, you know, Republic, you're on the conservative side like I am. I'm a Republican. Well, I would say I'm more conservative than Republican out there, but we do have our problems with fictional narratives. Okay. So we're going to get into this right after we come back from this commercial break. Hey, everyone. I am back from that commercial break. That wasn't too bad, right? And I hope you're joining me in because we're going to talk more about fiction, more about fiction, more about fiction. There we go. So I'm going to turn this down. Yeah. Unfortunately, hmm. you know, there's a lot of fiction surrounding all of us and flat out lies and they think they can get away with it. So again, like what I told you, backtracking. You know, one of the, one of the main things of identifying fiction is you can actually, when you, when people start thinking about fiction, they create a really good villain. They create a really good storyline behind that villain that's almost unbelievable. So I'm going to take one of the examples right now, which I've been hearing about online, which kind of like, uh, uh, you know, it, it kind of not really, upsets me we'll just say it triggers me and that is the narrative that bill gates is some type of evil villain out there now i think he is a rich guy who puts his nose where it shouldn't be and um but again this is you know this this is the world that we live in and every anyone is entitled to an opinion and he has an opinion that i just don't happen to agree with i don't think he's a good guy i I think his little dorky look um you know, kind of makes us think, oh, he's in the beginning, he was a harmless, dorky guy. I don't think he's harmful, but again, I just don't agree with his opinion. But a while ago, um, I guess in these old videos that I guess have showed up, or some of them have actually gone viral on YouTube, uh, showed that uh, it actually showed a clip of Bill Gates and his stance on vaccines. Now, someone had asked him, well, there, will vaccines cause people to die? And he said something that was very interesting that wasn't phrased very, very well. And it was taken out of context. But he said, as with any, um, I guess, uh, as with any advance in technology, you are going to have a rise in deaths. And those rise in deaths, um, you just have to calculate into every single advancement of technology, because that's just what happens as our world progresses. And again, he was just saying that, yes, vaccines will kill some people. And um, and that's the truth. As you study vaccines, there will be people who die um, for multiple reasons, right? If you just c- conduct a double-blinded placebo test, like what we're doing right now, you will give... A pretty big portion of your um, of your test group fake vaccines, fake, uh, um, uh, fake, uh, I guess solutions, and uh, you are waiting for them to die. And if they die, you're saying, okay, the the control group, right, who died, who who was took the sugar pill or the saline solution, well, I guess the vaccine didn't work. And thank you for your sacrifice. You died, but you're doing it for the betterment of society. Now, the people who, who enrolled into the, the, um, the study knew for a fact that they may be getting, you know, a fake dose of, you know, I guess what to say, the Moderna vaccine or Pfizer vaccine. And, um, that was part of the risk. You know, at one time I thought myself, I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I I could, I, I wouldn't mind taking, you know, the, the actual, actual vaccine, but I was more I was more troubled that I wouldn't get the real vaccine. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. I said, man, I would have taken it if I would have gotten the real vaccine because I actually believed in these vaccines. But again, I didn't want to take the fake one. I wanted the real thing. So that's what the, that's what the, the double-blinded placebo test does. And um, to me, I don't think it's very ethical during a pandemic to say, hey, wait a minute, we have to wait for people to die. And there's also the fact that we don't know if the vaccines back then were safe. So the vaccines, you know, could have been really bad, created a really bad adverse effect and killed someone and killed killed these people within a couple months of taking this vaccine. So that would be really bad too. Luckily, that didn't happen. So, so that's what he actually meant. And on top of that, that clip was taken out of context. When he was, um, he tried to, ex- he did expand on it further. And he said that, you know, again, as you, make, as you have a car and you make a car faster, more people are going to die, you know, per every horsepower you add to that engine. Now, but we still make cars more powerful and faster, but at the same time, we're making them safer. But again, more people are going to die because they're going to be driving that car a lot faster. It's the truth. You know, more people die now of car accidents than from when cars first came out and it could only go about five miles per hour, correct? Now cars can go a hundred miles per hour very, very easily. And we're always making cars faster. Look at the Tesla. That's a really fast car. Really, really, really fast car. It's faster than most gas cars out there, right? And a lot of people, they're going to die from this fast car. But that just happens to be with technology. And again, he even said, as people fly uh, to space, people are going to die. There's going to be accidents. As you create bigger jumbo jets, bigger airplanes, more people will die. As we increased uh, commercial air flight, more people have died from that, right? If, if everyone just traveled by boat or didn't travel at all, nobody would die. And that's what he was saying. But on the conservative side, they took that and made him into a villain. So remember when we said that every every fictional narrative requires a good villain. That's what they did. That's what Alex Jones and a lot of these people and the QAnon people they actually did. They said, wait, wait a minute, we're gonna take all of what Bill Gates did, we're gonna turn him into a villain, we're gonna take this out of context and make him some type of uh, eugenics guy who just like believes in like, you know, that people have to die, right? When he actually didn't say that. That's what they assume. But we're going to take it out of context. Now we got a really good villain. Now we're going to pair him with a lot of other things and try to connect the dots here. And we're going to leak information out slowly to create this fictional narrative. And here's the thing. It's very easy for you to create a fictional storyline. And you get so enwrapped into it that you don't even know that it's all fictional. You believe your own lie. That's the scariest thing about it. That's the really scariest thing about it. So this happens to the best of us. It even happens to a lot of us, like even, even to me. When you take a, a narrative and you take a solution at the end, you write your ending before you invest, you do your investigation. And this is why a lot of police officers out there, a lot of private investigators, a lot of, or a lot of people who, um, you know, investigate murders, they, t- um, really good ones, really good investigators, they don't want to assume that a suspect has already murdered their the wife or murdered this. Everyone's a suspect. And they'll just work their way down their, the line and narrow it down through forensic evidence and through interviews and all these other types of things until, and they let the evidence lead them to a solution rather than going backwards. Because they know for a fact that if you have, if you create a villain, if you create any type of villain and the prosecute, the prosecutors already hop into that villain, already name someone, already finger point someone, all you have to do is fish and you'll find the evidence you want to support your claim. If you fish long enough, you'll find something, you're right tip of some, some type of narrative. You'll lie to yourself and then you'll believe yourself and then you put away an innocent person. It's happened a lot of times. All right. So that's for myself. I always try to tell myself, you know, if someone tells me so and so, if if they start telling me this character is evil, like Dr. Fauci is evil. All right. And even for myself, I have on some podcasts, I say Dr. Fauci is this other person. I didn't come, I didn't assume that in the beginning. I came to that conclusion through, through the evidence that I followed. Alright. I always have said about Dr. Fauci that, that he was an an, an unhel- I tried to understand his personality more. So for myself, because you know, from a writer's perspective, I tried to understand Fauci's full personality from his behaviors, his, his agendas, his fears. I tried to put his personality on the Enneagram. so, so I could you know, figure out what type of character he was, right? and um it really seemed to me i at first i thought he was some type of genius intellect that uh that that uh that w- could easily dive into the fictional world uh, because that's what a lot of intellects do they don't live in the world that we live in they live in an alternative universe um and they have a very big problem with communication they're pretty much close to autistic the the smarter they get the more autistic they become and just recently, by the way, Elon Musk came out and said that he has functioning autism. Well, that makes pretty much a lot of sense because he is a genius. So, genius and autism, it kind of combines together. Whenever you find someone who has autism, you'll find that they are a genius in something. Like a person who's, who who uh, who has uh, who has a lot of autism, they may not be able to be able to associate with you. They may they maybe not be able to talk to you as a person, but man, can they play that piano like a genius for some reason, right? So Elon Musk, he has this functional autism type of diagnosis or something, whatever it is, and made a lot of sense. So he's a what they call an intellect. He's your typical intellect. And that's why he's not very good at communicating. He's not very good like Steve Jobs, where he can just go in front of an audience and just captivate you. But Fauci... He is not that type of person. So I originally had thought he was that, right? And so maybe he's an intellect getting caught up in his own narratives because they do. But no, it, it dawned upon me that he was actually more like a type three achiever. And a type three achiever is all about image. They love the, the limelight. And they're very good at achieving. They're very, very good at, at achieving things because they want to do that to be validated. They wanna be, they always want their intelligence to be validated. And it's not like an intellect because they can be very smart, but they're more about seeking the public, the public's eye, the, the public validation. And if you, if you see Fauci, he hasn't found a camera that he doesn't hate, that he hates, right? He's always, how often does Fauci appear on camera? So often. So now you're, now you're looking at a guy who is not an epidemiologist. Who is trying to function as an epidemiologist, but he's not. He's a he is, and he's not even an MD doctor. He's not a medical doctor of any sort, where he has patients. And here he is trying to treat all of America as one patient. And then all of a sudden, you take a look at his emails, and he was actually saying things that were that were different than that what what he was preaching. And all of a sudden, you say, "Wow, he's kind of a liar." And that fits more of the unhealthy type of achiever. So that's how I figured it out, right? From a storyline perspective, right? Instead of just saying Dr. Fauci is a villain, and that's what a lot of people are doing right now. On the conservative side, they're saying, Dr. Fauci is a villain. He's associated with Bill Gates. This is all about certain things. And Now, all of a sudden, we have this huge new world order. And, you know, this whole thing that's going on with COVID is about, to, is about to microchip you. You know, you have 5G in your arm and all these different types of things. And people just go nuts and nuts and nuts and paranoid. And they start believing anything that this Q guy just puts out there or or now they have all these other different conspiracy theorists out there, but they believe all these conspiracy theories out there without examining the evidence. The only evidence they examine is the little drops that they get to support their fictional narrative, which is fiction, that Fauci is a villain, Bill Gates is a villain, all those and, and what, and, and, and uh, they don't look at them as a full character, all right? And again, it all starts with a villain. You have to have a villain, a very, very strong villain. It's like how the left has Trump as a villain. On the right, you have Fauci, you have Bill Gates, you have even Joe Biden. This, you know, some of, some of the stuff they say about Joe Biden, you know, I have to question sometimes, right? I still question and a lot of it I don't because we have evidence of him, you know, conspiring with China. We have evidence through Hunter Biden's laptop. We have evidence of him doing quid pro quo and a lot of bad things about his whole family getting enriched and all that. But they're not, are they doing it now? It seems like they're doing it now. So we have a lot of of evidence we can follow to Joe Biden. But is he actually senile? I don't know. I really don't know that because sometimes he, he doesn't seem senile. A lot of times he doesn't seem aware, but sometimes he does. You know, it's really tough. It's really, really tough to do because, again, it's so easy to point Joe, to paint Joe Biden as this villain. But if we follow the evidence, let's follow the evidence, right? And let's even question our own evidence. Can we still arrive at that same conclusion or what conclusion can we arrive at, right? We have to figure that out because right now with Joe Biden, it doesn't look too good. And I, and I tell you what, if we follow the evidence, we will all kind of still end up in the same place right now because Fauci is a bad guy. And because we, if we follow that evidence, we know that Fauci is not a good version of himself. We know that Bill Gates is associated with Fauci in a certain way. And we also know that jo- Joe Biden isn't making the right decisions at all. And he doesn't even, so is it ego that is, you know, is he just a bad decision maker? Is it ego? Is he stupid or just senile? We, You know, we don't know, right? So we can't really assume some, some of those things. We can question it until we get further evidence. And all I do know too about Trump is that he's a good guy because there's a, there's evidence of that. There's no evidence of Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi or any of those other ones, Maxine Waters, even AOC being good. None whatsoever. You can't dig and you you can't find much good things about them. None whatsoever. So, again, going back to fiction. Step one, create a villain, right? Step two, make them do bad things, right? Step three, start leaking little information back and out, uh, back to, uh, to, to your audience to help support the evidence. So that's what, whenever you see it, whenever you see a narrative created from the villain, then backwards, then you know for a fact that this narrative more than likely is fiction. And another, and this is the big kicker too. This is the real, real big kicker for me. A lot of these narratives are very, very poorly written. And when you hear, like, say, for example, when you, when you read New York Times or something in the New York Post, they immediately start (laughs) saying, this Republican is a villain. He's, they don't use the word villain, but he's a bad guy and blah, blah, blah. All of these different types of things out there. And here's why. Again, (laughs) automatically a fiction, automatically a work of fiction, right? Like right now, they're trying to paint Larry Elder, um, the person who may become the first black governor of California, uh, through a recall of Gavin Newsom, they're trying to paint him as a white supremacist. <laughs> He's black. He's 100% black. He just happens to have conservative viewpoints. So they are painting him as a white supremacist. How do you like that, right? Again, they're trying to make him the villain. They're trying to make Gavin Newsom into the hero. That's not how it works. That's never how it works. If if Larry Elder is a white supremacist, I would say, let's take a look at the evidence first. Where is the evidence? Let's take a look at the evidence of Larry Elder. Let's look at the full scope of Larry Elder's life and how he lived his whole life. And then can we assume that he's a white supremacist, right? Why don't we say that? Let's follow the evidence, his whole evidence. Is like, you know, did he help? White people out and not blacks out? Did he always talk about how blacks... Did he have any like, Ill, Ill will toward the black community? None whatsoever. So how can we say he's a white supremacist? Did he have confederate flags and he didn't want to be associated with the black people? No? Did he belong to white supremacy groups? No? <laughs> Pretty easy to find out, right? Pretty easy. Now there's one big tell sign when it comes to fictional fictional narratives out there. This one is really big. Whenever you hear someone say the debate is over, the blank is in. We'll say the science is in. the science is in. The debate is over. Just shut up and obey. Well, that's when you know something is really really going on. Like global warming, they wrote <laughs> instead of writing a villain out there as an overall villain, they took. They took an element, CO2, or a compound element, and made that into the villain. And with that, they branched off and into all the little things there that had CO2. And then they said, with well, this much CO2, basically the earth is going to boil. And if you didn't believe in this whole sim- simple narrative out there, and they taught it in schools and everything like that. And if you didn't believe in this narrative, um, then you know what? You, you're, you're basically part of the wrong party, and you didn't. They didn't want to be. They, didn't, they didn't want anything to do with you. This is, this is in the the very liberal circles. If you were a professor of meteorology and you were, you know, uh, you you didn't believe in global warming, you're out of the group. You're out of the cool kids group, right? And this, this is, and this is what's wrong. This is what's wrong with it, right? It's very easy to spot this again. You know, you, they created the villain, and then they created the backstory. It's so simple. They did not follow the evidence. They did not say, "Does CO two actually cause global warming? Does it cause? Does it cause um, more hurricanes?" The data doesn't really pile up if you follow it the other way. It they on, it only they're only it only piles up if you take CO two as a villain and then you go fishing. For reasons to support your claim that the earth is going to you know explode because we have too much CO2 inside the in, inside our atmosphere that's all that's all what happens you can't question don't question that storyline so when they, again when they tell you here's the storyline, we created the villain, believe the backstory, and if you don't believe it because the science is in you're not in our club and get out of it, your department's not going to be funded hmm. What can we say there, right? It's all over, people. It's all over. Everywhere we return with COVID, everywhere. So let's talk about COVID now. Now with COVID, it's pretty interesting because again, Donald Trump also became the villain. The Republicans became the villain because COVID got very, very political. And the Democrats all of a sudden made Donald Trump this, they made him so, such this, such of a powerful villain that it casted fear into the hearts of Americans. And they casted so much fear into the, the, the Democrats knew that if they made COVID worse than it actually was, and it's bad, right? But if they made it worse than it actually was, then, you know, anything associated with President Trump's reelection would be considered evil. Now, for the longest time, we had under 200,000 deaths from COVID. The longest time. In fact, per year, I think uh, we had just a little over, you know, I think over 400,000 deaths. But did you know 250,000 people die from medical malpractice per year? It's true. So doctors killed 250,000 Americans, just Americans per year. Imagine if we had a ticker like that on top of a... Uh, I guess on on top of the um, CNN's, you know, news every single day, every single death that a doctor would do, we have a ticker and that thing climbs up. Oh my God, two, 20, 30, 20 people died, 30 people died. You imagine this 250,000 people died from doctors per year. That's more than a lot of wars, Right. That's more, you know, going to the, and then people will start saying, wow, going to the doctor is more dangerous than fighting in Iraq or Afghanistan. You know, doctors kill more Americans than terrorists. And statistically, that's true. So if we have like a, a chart up there and we say, whoa, the Taliban they didn't kill 250,000 people last year. In fact, maybe they only killed maybe 30, right? We should be like, you know, locking up and, you know, calling these doctors terrorists, right? I mean, you can do anything with this. And you could write a narrative that doctors are just out there to kill people. You could. And then just write the backstory. And then, you know, you know tell people, well, if you don't believe, you're on the wrong side. It's so easy. The question I really have now, we're going to stop talking about, you get what I'm saying, here, right? This is how we do it. But The question I have, like ever since, you know, I got involved with politics, you know, as a businessman, you know, and and, uh, under Donald Trump, things got a lot, I think, my eyes, uh, or I want to say my intuition, but my, uh, uh, I guess my sense of smelling BS, my BS radar, why don't we just say that? It got a lot more sensitive. At one time, I believed. Everything the Republican party said. I mean, I was like, you know, Republican, free market, you know, free trade was good. You know, NAFTA was great. It was great for the economy. Open, open market everywhere. Uh, you know, Donald Trump. And when Donald Trump was out there saying, you I know, mean, he was out there saying the same thing that, you know, NAFTA was bad and everything. But, you know, again, Newt Gingrich was like, you know, touting it. This, he was part of that deal. And I was saying, yeah, it seems pretty good. George Bush loved it too. Right. And, you know, I just said, you know, free market, you know, trade with China. It's good for everyone. And I could kind of see it when, and I disagreed with Donald Trump when he wasn't running for president. And now I see that he was right. And I find out that the Democrats, I mean, the Republicans were lying to us all the time because they were just trying to enrich themselves and everything that they did, everything that they talked about, they never followed through with. Lowering our corporate tax, lowering taxes, getting rid of the death tax. You know, you know, building a you know, building a wall on the southern border, you know, you know, uh, you know, not getting us into wars at all. They were not into that. You know, they lied about the WMDs. That's the truth. They destabilized the Middle East. They lied about the war. I supported the Iraq War because I believe their lie. They made <laughs> again. I, I bought a hook, line, and sinker. I bought I I bought their fake narrative that. You know, Saddam Hussein was this evil antagonist, this evil villain that we just needed to, like, get out of the Middle East because they were just so bad. So, And I believed all the things. You know, I, I was a writer back then. Too. In fact, I was a professional writer back then when, the, when that happened. I was more of a professional writer back then than I am now. And I believed it. But I was younger, but I still believed it. I believed it. Wasn't that smart back then? Not at all. All right, people. That's it for this podcast today. I hope it helps. I hope it helps helps you identify fictional narratives out there. Maybe if you're a writer, you want to write your own story. You know, again, you know how to do it now, right? But my ultimate goal for today was to teach you how we do it in the fake world, in the fictional world, in the story world, because it applies to journalists. It applies to politics. It applies to even scientists out there. It applies to everything. Oh, babe, hold on! I'm not going to go yet. I'll, there's one more thing I wanted to say. So, we're gonna we're gonna backtrack into my history as a writer. So, if you want to know about what I write, the genre that I write, it's now I do write comedy. I love writing comedy. Uh, I'm not a witty comic artist. I don't write those really good lines, but I really I write really good situational comedy. But my wheelhouse is actually science fiction or fantasy. And this is one of the most difficult. Um, I guess genres to write. Because again, what I told you before, you have to create not only the fictional narrative, but also the world. I mean, a lot of times you have to create technology that seems believable. But here's what I'm saying. You know... oh, sorry about that. My, uh, I hit the wrong button there. <laughs> okay, so here's what I'm trying to tell you. I chose to write in science fiction the science fiction genre because I love science. I really, really do. Uh, But as I started to dive into science, I started to realize that it's very fictional. I could see all of the elements of storytelling in here. All of it. You know, there's not much truth in science. A lot of it is theoretical the only exact science out there is chemistry and even then in chemistry on the outer skirts there exists, there exists fiction believe it or not there are, are a lot of things in chemistry you know that really don't make any sense they really don't and even even uh, uh people who are you know have like degrees in chemistry or or, or are chemists and everything they're saying yeah it doesn't make any sense it actually defies even the laws of relativity, the theory of relativity. So, there are, you know, it, when it when you hear a scientist talk, and uh, they have all of these t- these scientific um, studies out there, and I'm just going to talk about about mask wearing. <laughs> this one person on Facebook, you know, wrote to me. She's part of my Facebook group for weddings. Um, they're trying to defend, I guess, to uh, tell me that masks actually work. And they start, they sent me two studies of, I think one from the NIH and one from the CDC that came to a conclusion that they said masks actually work. Well, I read through the entire thing because, you know, again, I love science. But what did it conclude? Well, in one study, it said ma- mask could work. And in the other study, they said mask might work. And then when you read the whole study, they actually said they really can't tell what's going on. (laughs) They really couldn't tell if it stops the flu, if it stops COVID, if it stops anything. They, They just have an idea, they say it could work or might work. There's no, when a scientist says something could or might, that means they actually don't know. You don't get into an airplane that could fly, correct? You don't drive a car whose brakes might work. It's simple as that so if this scientist worked on your car and said well Steve I'm done with the brakes and they might work I said no I, I want to answer do they work yes or no I said yeah they might are you sure I'm going down the I'm going down the hill you know I live down a hill no Steve I'm hundred percent sure they might work <laughs> that doesn't do it for me and that's what the study said they're hundred percent sure masks could work oh could why don't we just say You're definitely right, right? So whenever you hear percentages work, I mean, I mean, percentages in a study, like say, for example, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine or any of these vaccines, they say they have, they have an efficacy rate of 96%. Well, what does that mean? I mean, what really does that mean? You know, they know for a fact which type of people this vaccine won't work on. So you know is it overweight people is it people with compromised immune systems they know they have the facts but they're not telling you they are absolutely not not telling you and that's the the kind of things that i hate about what's going on with covid is because they're lying to you by not by withholding information and they're giving you statistics right they're saying that oh if you wear a mask it could slow the spread by 20% really how do you figure that out no it just slows it just believe me it slows it by 20% well how did you arrive to that you know to that conclusion because right now as far as the studies go 98% of the people who were infected with covid were wearing mask so tell me how it can stop the spread of 20% right <laughs> You know, this, this whole Delta variant thing, they were saying that the death rate is 20 times more than, than the actual original COVID rate, right? The death rate. Well, what was, what was the death rate for the, for COVID before, for, for for like 30, 40 year olds? Um, I believe it was 0.0001. And it, so 20 times would be 0.0025. They used, then they used a narrative and said it's 20 times more instead of saying it's from 0.0001 to 0.002. Why did they do that? Well, it's to basically scare the hell out of you. So again, like I told you, scientists now are writing fiction. Isn't it horrible? I don't like it. And I think I mentioned this before because I don't... Why is it that scientists are becoming screenwriters now. Why is it that journalists are becoming screenwriters, right? I mean, they're painting Joe Biden and his failure in Afghanistan as some type of, you know, triumphant type of thing that they said, well, I mean, this one journalist said that, well, it wouldn't, under Trump, it would have been worse. And my question is, how? How would have it been worse, (laughs) right? They didn't cite any evidence. But again, they're trying to write Trump as a villain again and Biden as the hero. Trump didn't pull them out of Afghanistan. He talked about it. It was him that set the May deadline, right? They're trying to say it's all his fault. No, it's Joe Biden's fault. It's on his watch. He should own the L. Own it. All right, people. Now I'm out of here. All right, everyone, that's it for today. I had fun podcasting. If you like what you hear, please share my podcast. If you can't find me, look on your favorite podcast platform and look for BBQ2movies. That's BBQ, T-O, Movies. Yeah, the TO is not the number two, by the way. It is TO, like Terrell Owens. So that's BBQ2movies. Catch you around.